0: just start with prayer father as we turn to your word now i pray lord that your holy spirit will just give us clear heads lord that you'll give understanding lord that everything will just speak for itself lord your word is clear needs a bit of untangling sometimes but lord it's very very clear so father i just pray now that by your spirit you'll teach us we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Right, well back to the church life series tonight. Two ministries to go, that's all. Apostles and prophets. We will then have covered the whole lot. So tonight, we turn to apostles. What is an Apostle? Alright. Now, it's very, very important that we understand that, because there's a lot of teaching goes around today about Apostles, all right? Particularly in churches that are very much like ourselves, in the sense that, you know, there's a real return today to New Testament teaching. But uh, in returning to New Testament teaching, things can go wrong a little bit, and Apostles and Prophets are one of the things that's gone a little bit wrong. Um, just, Just go to Ephesians 4, and I'll just show you one of the reasons why we need to understand this, not just apostles, but prophets as well. Because if you went to most places and said, what is an apostle or what is a prophet? You'd get some very generalized answers, but nothing specific, nothing you could really be happy with, nothing that ties down what apostles and prophets are in any real way. So um, we need to do this. It's, it's just Ephesians 4 verse 11, And Paul says, God's gifts were that some should be apostles and some prophets. And if you go back into chapter 2 and verse 20, and this is important because in chapter 2 verse 20, you'll find the context is Paul is talking about the church. And he makes this statement about the church, all right? The church built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And there you have a clear statement that Paul says that the church is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. So what you find in some churches is that they'll tell you, right, a church is not a church and never can be a church unless it's been planted by a recognized apostle working hand in hand with his recognized prophet. Is he? And so you get the idea today that you've got churches and they've got elders, but above the elders are the apostles and prophets who planted the church and that they're the real guys in charge. Now, this is the kind of teaching you get, so we've got to understand very, very clearly from the Word of God, um, I mean, what an apostle or prophet is. Just go to 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and in verse 28, Paul says, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then the rest. So people come along and say, look, there you got it. It's got to be a, you know, an apostle who plants the church, and there's got to be a prophet working with him. And they say, only then can a church be considered a true church. Now, by the time we get to the end of uh, this whole subject, you'll realize that something's wrong there, and you'll know exactly what it is. But we're only going to find out by tackling the subject head on tonight, what are Apostles, and uh, then moving on to Prophets as well. So then, what is an Apostle? Well, the first thing that we've got to see is that the word Apostle is a very, very wide term, indeed. Uh, The word seems very specific in most people's minds, but I want to show you that it's a very, very wide word in the Bible, and it's used in different ways, alright? Now, therefore, as we understand the different ways that the word Apostle is used, we will then understand what it does and what it doesn't mean in various applications. And you see here's the thing that right from the start that you must get hold of and we're going to see this very very clearly there are different types of apostle and we mustn't get them mixed up there are different types of apostle in fact three types as you will see let's take the actual word apostle what's the greek word the greek word is apostolos and it literally means, one who is sent forth, as simple as that. The Greek word, apostolos, from which we get our English word, apostle, simply means, one who is sent forth. It is as simple and also as wide-ranging as that. And this word, apostolos, it comes from apo, which is from, and stello, which is the verb to send. Simply, one who is sent. And the idea that lies behind the word in the Greek is that of being sent from somewhere in order to go somewhere, but the somewhere you're going, you're going to with the authority of the one who sent you. So you're being sent to somewhere, from somewhere, in the authority, the delegated authority of the one who has sent you. That is the idea behind the term. Now, we'll move on and see the three types of apostle in the New Testament. And what we will see as well is that they have varying degrees of authority. The three types of apostle that we're gonna see have three differing levels of authority, all right. And in fact, two types of apostle are in fact unique and unrepeatable. Which means that, I'm going to show you, that of the three types of apostle taught in the scriptures, there is only one type around today. Two types of apostle are no longer around, and I will show you why that is. So there are Apostles in the church today, but they are what I'm going to call Category 3 Apostles, and that will become clear later. Category 1 and 2 Apostles are no longer with us, alright? Now then, if we start with Apostleship category number 1, you'll immediately get the point, alright? Go to Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. Hebrews, chapter 3 and verse 1, and I think this will start to become clear to you. Now the writer says this, he says, "'Therefore, holy brethren, who share in a heavenly call, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession.' Now here, The writer says that Jesus himself was an Apostle. And I don't think anyone will have any problems with the idea that Jesus was an Apostle in the way that no one else could possibly be. Now immediately, is the idea of different types of Apostle becoming clear? We're seeing here that Jesus is an Apostle. And yet we have no problem with the idea that Jesus was an apostle in an absolutely unique way. We have here an apostleship available to one person only, and it's Jesus. And you'll see what that is in a moment, all right? So with that, there are two things that immediately we see from the Bible. The idea of apostles being different types is okay. In the Bible, there are different types of apostle. And also the idea of an apostleship not being available today is also okay because the apostleship that Jesus had is not available today. It's his and he's the only one who can have it. So we have a category of apostle that is not around today. It's not available for anyone in the church to actually have because Apostleship number one was for Jesus and no one else. Now each type of Apostleship has a qualification attached to it, not anyone can be an Apostle. You've got to have the qualifications before you can actually be one. So therefore, in order for someone to be an Apostle in any of the three senses, they've got to meet the requirements that define them as being an Apostle in that sense. Now, let's look at Apostleship number one, Jesus. What was the qualification of being an Apostle in the sense that Jesus was? Very, very simple. The qualification was this. You had to be God, and at the same time you had to be a man who led a sinless life. Now, that is the condition for apostleship category number one, which is Jesus. You had to be a man, but you had to be God as well, and you had to be absolutely sinless. Now I think you can see that Jesus alone qualifies to be that type of apostle. Not even the Father Not even the Holy Spirit qualify to be an Apostle in that sense, and for this reason, although Father and the Holy Spirit are divine, and although they're sinless, they're not human. So even Father and the Holy Spirit don't qualify for that. Jesus was the only one who could. Alright. Now remember, Apostle, simply one who is sent forth. Let's remind ourselves of what, what the word actually means. An apostle is simply one who is sent forth. Now, let's see Jesus talking about the apostleship that he had. Go first of all to John. John's Gospel. John's Gospel. Now, in the Greek, apostolos, all right, is an apostle. That's a noun. The verb is apostello. Alright. Now then, John 3 verse 17, and we read this, Jesus said, for God sent the Son into the world, and the word sent there, apostello. So Jesus here is saying that God, the Father, sent me, himself, the Son, into the world. That was the apostleship of Jesus. What he's saying there quite literally is that the Son is the apostle of the Father, the one who is sent from the Father. Go to chapter 5, verse 36. Jesus said, but the testimony which I have is greater than that of John, and he's talking there about uh, sort of John the Baptist. Um, he says, these very works which I am doing bear witness that the Father has sent me, apostello. Jesus is saying literally that the works I'm doing, the signs and wonders, bear witness that I am literally an Apostle of the Father. Chapter 6 and verse 57, all these are apostello, the verb form of Apostle, or to be an Apostle. Chapter 6 verse 57, As the living Father sent me, you see, all the way through Jesus is saying the Father sent me, I am an Apostle sent directly by the Father. And just go over into chapter 7 and verse 29. And Jesus said, I know him, that is God, I know him, for I came from him, and he sent me. Now, the apostleship of Jesus, regarding it, we see this. Jesus was sent directly from the Father into the world in the delegated authority of God the Father as its creator. Jesus was sent from God, indeed he is God, Jesus was sent from God into the world in the delegated authority of the Father over the world as the creator. So therefore we see here that the apostleship of Jesus, the authority that he had as an apostle, was absolute, because he came in the delegated authority of the Father himself. Therefore, the apostleship of Jesus carried authority which was absolute, all right? Remember, an apostle, apostolos, from apostello, the verb which simply means to send. That's all an apostle is, someone who is sent, all right? And Jesus, apostle number one, or type one, he was sent from the Father to the world with absolute authority. And the qualifications of this apostleship, type one, was that he had to be divine and that he had to be human and that he had to be sinless. Now, only Jesus fit fitted that bill. So therefore, can you see that in Jesus we have a unique and unrepeatable apostleship. Jesus was an apostle in a way that no one else could be. So we therefore have apostleship, type one, is unique, unrepeatable, it is a gift not open to anyone else at all because Jesus is the only one who is an Apostle in that sense. Right, Apostleship number one out of the way. Now then, Apostleship number two. Now it starts to get interesting. Alright, go to Luke. Luke chapter 6. Now let's see a group of people who are also called Apostles. Luke chapter 6, let's start reading from verse 12. In these days, Jesus went out into the hills to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. All right? Simon, who he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Simon, Judas, and That's, there were two Judases, all right. Judas, the son of James, he was a goody. And finally, Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Okay, so then what we've got here is that Jesus picks out 12 people, and he said, you 12 are going to be my apostles. Now, I want to show you immediately that these 12 Apostles that Jesus picked out are also unique and unrepeatable. want to immediately show you that the twelve, as we have it here, that they are twelve men and no one else can be Apostles in the way that they are. They are twelve Apostles in a way that no one else can possibly be. Let's actually see that. Go to Matthew. So I'm going to prove to you that the 12 apostles who Jesus chose are an apostleship that, again, cannot be repeated. It's exclusive to 12 men only. Now then, you should be in Matthew 19, alright? Let's read from uh, 5 verse 27. Matthew 19, 27, Peter said, Lord, we've left everything and followed you, what then shall we have? So, you know, in a sense, Peter's saying, Lord, we've given up everything. Is there going to be anything in this for us? I mean, that really is what what Peter's saying, what's in it for us, Lord? Uh, Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world when the Son of Man shall sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So here is Peter speaking on behalf of the twelve. He himself is one of them. And he says, Lord, what's in this for us? Now Jesus said, in the new world, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, Now when's that? When is this new world when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne and Israel is going to be judged? It's the thousand year reign of Christ. Here Jesus is saying, during my thousand year reign on earth, you twelve will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. In the Salvation series, we saw this, all right, that the 12 apostles of Jesus are gonna rule with Jesus over Israel. The rest of us will be everywhere else, all over the rest of the world. But it's the 12 who will judge Israel. But the point is that in the gospel, all right, Jesus chooses 12 apostles. In the thousand-year reign of Jesus, he's predicting that there are still just twelve because they've each got a a throne of their own. Can you see? This twelve that Jesus chooses is forever twelve. It never grows. It's an apostleship that is unique. It cannot be repeated in any way as well. Go to Revelation chapter 21. And in this verse, find verse 14, in this verse, we're not now talking about the thousand-year reign of Christ. We're now going to be reading a verse that relates to the eternal state. After the thousand-year reign of Christ. Yeah? Um, don't, Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. All will be revealed, no problem. Okay. Okay, right, now, Revelation 21, verse 14. And this is describing the new Jerusalem, heaven itself in the eternal state. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the land. Now there, in the <laughs> eternal state, heaven all right, has got a wall or walls around it and the names of the 12 are forever written on it. Can you see this 12 apostles and their name here is the Apostles of the Lamb. Absolutely unique. The apostleship of the 12 will never ever change. It's an apostleship again which is not open to anyone today. Now we saw that the apostleship of Jesus was that he was sent by the Father. Now, the apostleship of the 12, as we're now going to see, is that they are sent, not by the Father, they are sent by Jesus. Jesus was sent by the Father personally. We're now going to see that the 12 were sent by Jesus personally. Go to John 17, John's Gospel. Find John 17, verse 18. And Jesus said, this is his praying to Father, he says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, apostello, both times. Jesus says, Father, you sent me into the world, apostello, and now I am gonna send them into the world, apostello. Exactly the same. Go to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, first of all, verse 5. Matthew 10, in verse 5, we read, These twelve, the twelve apostles of the Lamb, these twelve Jesus sent out. You see, Jesus is sending them out personally. And going to verse 16, he says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So what we're seeing here, okay, is quite simply that the 12 apostles of the Lamb, are they're called as they're called, were sent out directly by Jesus himself, and that is how you define apostleship number two. So Jesus, apostleship number one, he was commissioned and sent out directly by God the Father. The 12... Apostleship number two, they were sent out directly by Jesus. So to be an apostle in this sense, you would have to be sent out as an apostle personally by Jesus. And that cannot happen anymore. And I'll tell you, because Jesus doesn't live physically on earth anymore. He lives physically in heaven. Jesus is not physically here to send anyone out. He's physically in heaven. So again, we see an apostleship here, type two, the 12 apostles of the Lamb, an apostleship that is unique and cannot be repeated again. So we have a second type of apostle who are no longer around today. Now, I'm really pleased about the question that came up a few moments ago. So, I was, you know, I was, I'd planned to say, has anyone spotted a problem? And this is great because people have. Now, the problem is this. What about Judas? You see, the thing was that <coughs> Judas was called to be an apostle of the land. He was in the original 12 who Jesus called. But the problem is he bailed out. He betrayed Jesus, and in the salvation series I demonstrated to you that Judas never ever got converted. Judas was never born again. Judas never became a disciple of Jesus. Never ever. So therefore we have a problem. Go to Acts 1. Acts chapter 1. This will also dispel the idea that Apostles are infallible as well. Right, Acts chapter 1 verse 15. In those days Peter, and my goodness it had to be Peter, I love Peter. In those days, anytime you read in the Bible and you get the words in those days Peter, you know that something good's coming up because he was always cocking it up and we can relate to that, can't we? In those days Peter stood up among the brethren the company of persons in all was about 120, and said, Brethren, the Scripture has to be fulfilled, blah, 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 concerning Judas, who was guide to those who who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us. Alright, now go down into verse 20. For it's written in the book of Psalms, let his house become a desolation, and let there be no one to live in it, and his office let another take. So, one of the men who have accompanied us us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, blah, 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 uh, one of these men must become with us a witness to his being raised from the dead. And they put forward, two: Joseph, called Sabbath, who was surnamed Justice, I'd have hated to have filled in tax forms. Oh, wouldn't it be awful? Hello, I'm Bar Sabbath, surname Justice, the son of Joseph. And it'd be very complicated. And Matthias, and they prayed and said, Lord, thou knowest the hearts of all men. Blah blah blah. Verse 26. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on a Matthias, and he was enrolled with the eleven apostles. All right. So then, what we've got here is quite simply this: Peter realized from the teaching of Jesus that there's got to be 12 apostles. Because Judas had gone and hung himself, all right, he was gone, there's now only 11. Peter realized that there had to be 12 and that was on the authority of the teaching of Jesus. But Peter here makes a classic mistake. Do you remember earlier on in this series, one of the principles that we saw is that there are certain things that are absolutely right and biblical and scriptural but you've got to make sure you do them in the Lord's timing so therefore, to do the right thing in the wrong time isn't really any use at all. And that what we're going to see here is that Peter is purely... What he's doing, he's saying there's only 11 of us, there's got to be 12 of us. Right, let's pick someone who can join us and make us 12 again. And he's doing it completely wrong, moving right out of God's time. And we can prove it quite simply. All right, two names got put forward. How did... They choose them, they cast lots, they tossed a coin. Now, the last thing that Jesus told them to do just before he ascended into heaven, a little while before this, the last thing Jesus said to them to do was wait in Jerusalem until you've been baptised in the Spirit. He said, then go out and get the world, alright? That's the last thing Jesus told them to do, wait until you're baptised with the Spirit. And here they are, before they've been baptized in the Spirit, tossing a coin to find out who the next Apostle's going to be. Now, can you see? Who needs to toss a coin to find out God's will when you've only got to wait a few more days and the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out of you? So what we have here is simply good old Peter rushing ahead of the Lord and doing something and getting it absolutely wrong. All right. Incidentally, Some of what Peter said here was right, and we see one of the qualifications for being an Apostle in Type 2, and it's that they are a witness to Jesus being raised from the dead, i.e. an Apostle in category number 2 had to have had personal physical contact with Jesus after Jesus was raised from the dead, alright? Even though you had to qualify for that, and Matthias did, remember, loads and loads of other people did as well, because in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said that over 500 people saw Jesus after he was raised from the dead. So whereas an apostle in type 2 had to qualify by having had personal contact with Jesus physically after he was raised from the dead, there was a little bit more to it, than that. And there was one of the qualifications that Peter had forgotten entirely. And if he'd have thought about it, if he'd have been slower to act and faster to pray, then he'd have realized, hey, there's no way that Matthias or this other guy, Justus, can be the 12th Apostle. Go to John 14 and you'll see exactly what this other qualification is, that Matthias did not qualify on, all right? John 14 and verse 26. Now then, again, this is Jesus speaking to the twelve. It's before Judas has bailed out, though. So Judas is there. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Now the point about Matthias is that Matthias has spent a lot of time with Jesus during that three and a half years that Jesus was travelling around and preaching. But only the twelve had heard everything that Jesus had to teach them. Because there were many times when Jesus drew the twelve aside and taught them things that he didn't teach anyone else. So Peter and the eleven had received teaching from Jesus personally that Matthias hadn't received and the qualification for being apostle number two or the replacement of Judas was that like the eleven it had to be someone who had received all of Jesus's teaching everything Jesus ever taught directly from him personally and Matthias did not qualify on that count Because Matthias had spent time with Jesus, but he hadn't been there all the time when Jesus was teaching the eleven. All right. So then the eleven, Peter and the rest of them, at this point were alone in having heard everything that Jesus taught, that Jesus has said to them, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will bring to your remembrance everything that I have taught you. All right. But even more than this, it was even more than just it had to be someone who received all of the teaching of Jesus from him personally. The point was that Jesus still had even more things to teach them that he hadn't taught them as yet on earth. Go to John 16, John 16 verse 12 to 15. And he says, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now here Jesus is saying to them, look lads, there's even more teaching that you're going to receive from me. But you're not going to get it yet because you can't bear it. You're going to have to wait until the Holy Spirit comes. So the point is, Matthias, who is here picked to replace Judas, he qualified in that he had seen Jesus after Jesus was raised from the dead. But he didn't qualify on having received all Jesus' teaching from Jesus in person. So Matthias failed on that count. He was not the replacement for Judas Iscariot so then who on earth was who was it in god's plan who was actually the 12th of the 12th because remember it had to be 12 all right and peter was aware of it and they thought we've got to have a 12th apostle but they didn't know anyone who fitted So they had Matthias instead. They tossed a coin. They said, that'll do. Now, who was the 12th apostle? Well, I'll tell you, it was Paul. It was the apostle Paul. Paul was the 12th apostle of the Lamb. How about the qualifications? To have seen Jesus physically after he was raised from the dead. Well, that happened for a start when Paul was converted. Jesus appeared to him Physically, all right. So number one. But what about number two? Qualification number two was that the twelfth, all the apostles of the Lamb, the twelve, had to have received all of Jesus's teaching from Himself personally. And that is how we know that Paul was the twelfth apostle. Go to two Corinthians chapter twelve. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, start reading from verse 2, he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was called up into the third heaven, that's paradise by the way, whether in the body or out of the body I don't know, God does know, and I know that this man was called up into paradise, and he heard things that cannot be told of which man may not utter. Go down into verse seven, and to keep me from being too elated by the abundance of all right it's Paul. it's Paul. After Paul was converted, Paul actually was taken up into heaven, and Paul spent time with Jesus personally in heaven, and Paul received all Jesus' teachings from Jesus personally in heaven. In fact, more than that, do you remember in John 16? Jesus said to them, that in fact there's even more that I haven't told you yet. Alright? I haven't told you. So there's more to come even. Well, do you know how the other apostles partially got that extra teaching that Jesus still had? It's from Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle, not only when he was in heaven with Jesus personally, Not only did he receive all the teaching that the eleven had had, but he received more teaching than they had had. Paul got the whole lot, alright? And therefore, he qualified as the twelfth apostle. The only difference between him and the eleven is that the eleven got their teaching, all Jesus' teaching directly from him personally on earth, whereas Paul got all Jesus' teaching directly from him personally in heaven. That was the only difference. So that was absolutely no problem. Paul the Apostle was the twelfth one. And let's see now that Paul actually says that, and the truth of the matter is that Paul was the twelfth Apostle. He was just a little bit late arriving, wasn't he? You see, the eleven wanted one immediately. Well, God was saying, no, it's no hurry, lads. I've got him. He'll be along in time. All right. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And verse 7. And Paul said, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. I.e., he's talking about the... 11 and then he says last of all as to one untimely born or another way of putting it as to one born out of time or one who arrived late he appeared to me and here paul's saying i'm the 12th apostle i just came along a bit later that's all and so paul was the 12th apostle of the lamb unique and unrepeatable and in fact it's because Paul came along so late although he wasn't late he was absolutely on time in God's time but because it seemed that he came along late this is the reason why Paul had such a struggle being accepted in the churches as a true apostle of the Lamb and you'll find that in the letters that he writes he's all the time he's he's really emphasizing his apostleship And he's saying, I am a true apostle. Regardless of what anyone says, I am a true apostle. And he proves to the people he's writing to again and again why it is that he is the true 12th apostle. And in the letters that he wrote, okay, he opens Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. He opens all those things with the emphasis, I am an apostle called of Jesus, all right, and that is why Paul emphasizes it so much. Just go to 1 Corinthians 9, let's just see one little example of this, 1 Corinthians 9 verse 1 to 2, and Paul says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And then you have Paul saying it, I am an apostle of the Lamb, all right, defending the position that God had actually um, called him to. So we've seen two of the qualifications for being an apostle in Type 2, all right? And we've seen how Paul came in on that. The first one was that you had to have seen Jesus personally in the flesh after he rose again from the dead, and you had to have received all Jesus' teaching from himself personally, alright? Now then, there's a third qualification of being a true apostle in this second sense, alright? And it was quite simply that a true apostle of the Lamb had to have a miraculous ministry that was at least as stunning as the one that Jesus himself had. All right. The third qualification or sign of a true apostle of the Lamb, category number two, was to have a miraculous ministry up there in the same league as Jesus himself. Now, this isn't to say that only they had that. Because, I mean, for instance, Philip, wow, he had a real miraculous thing. But he was a deacon. Uh, Stephen did as well. He was a deacon. They weren't the only ones who had this, but an apostle had to have a ministry that really was miraculous to demonstrate, all right. Now then, let's just see this. Type 2 apostles had to have a really mega dramatic, miraculous ministry. Acts chapter 2, and I'll show you this. Acts chapter 2. This makes sense of some scriptures that might have baffled you, and you think, oh, why did it have to be them? You know, sort of thing. Right, Acts 2, verse 43. We read, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Done through others as well, but it's the apostles here who are homed in on. Uh, chapter 5, and we'll find verse 12. Chapter 5. Now many signs and wonders were done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Alright? Go down in verse 14, And more than ever, believers rallied to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and pallets, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. All Peter had to do was walk down the road, and if his shadow touched someone, they were healed. Now the reason for extraordinary things like that, that God should heal in such an extraordinary way, was the seal of God's apostleship with, at that time, the 11, because this was before Paul came along. Uh, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 12. Paul speaking of himself, and he says, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you in all patience with signs and wonders and mighty works. And Paul says, of course I'm an apostle. If I wasn't, could I work the miracles that I'm doing? No way, he says. And he's defending the apostleship, the fact that he was the 12th apostle of the Lamb and absolutely nobody else. Go to Romans. Romans 15 and verse 15. He says, on some points I've written to you very boldly by way, of remain, uh, by way of reminder because of the grace of God given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, blah, blah, blah. And then he says, verse 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has wrought through me. He says, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders. And he says, that's my testimony. If you don't believe me, look at the signs and wonders. Now go to Acts 19. So far, the little stories we've read in Acts on this point were about the 11, alright? This one is about Paul. You'll see something very interesting. Acts 19 verse 11. And God did extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that handkerchiefs or aprons were carried away from his body to the sick and diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Now can you see how extraordinary that was? People could pull Paul's handkerchief out of his pocket, run off with it to someone who was sick or demonised, and they were set free. Now, let me say immediately, that when Christians say all right let's do healing like that they're totally wrong. The reason that the healing was done in such an extraordinary way here was because it was confirming Paul as the 12th apostle. That is why Paul is the only one in the Acts of the Apostles who is said to work the kind of signs and wonders that Peter did earlier on. Can you see? When it comes to healing, we are called to do it in two ways and two ways only the laying on of hands, or obviously prayer the laying on of hands and elders can anoint with oil that is the only way we're allowed to do all this stuff, oh let's send them an (laughs) handkerchief absolute rubbish, no they shall lay their hands on the sick, or call the elders and they'll anoint you with oil. But these kind of weird things, or not weird, but these incredible shadows passing over you, uh, handkerchiefs being, it was the, to, to demonstrate who the true apostles of the Lamb actually were. So therefore, let's sum up, okay, on apostleship number two. Apostleship number one was Jesus, and he was sent directly by God himself. Apostleship number two, the twelve, Judas bails out, Paul comes in to replace him. that was to be sent by Jesus himself. and the qualifications they had to have seen Jesus personally and physically after he rose again from the dead. They had to have received all Jesus's teaching from him personally, and they had to have a miraculous ministry. In fact, the true the apostles of the Lamb, they had every ministry and every gift of the Spirit going. They're the only people who did, but they did, okay. Now, at this point, we've got to ask a question. We can all understand readily that the apostleship of Jesus was unique and unrepeatable. We, you know, we've got no problems with that. Oh, of course, I mean, Jesus is apostleship, number one. That's re- unique, unrepeatable. But we've got to look at why is the... Why was the Apostleship of the Twelve so unique as well? Why were the Apostles of the Lamb unique and unrepeatable? What was it that was so special and different about them? Right, and we've got to understand the answer to that. It's vitally important and it's the key to understanding the answer to the question, what are Apostles and Prophets? This is the key to understanding it. It is this, there was no New Testament. The church had the Old Testament, they had half of it, but at this point there was no New Testament because it hadn't been written yet. We have the whole caboodle, they didn't. And I'm going to show you that the uniqueness of the Twelve was quite simply the fact that the early church (laughs) did not at that point have the New Testament. And you see, here's the point, those 12 men alone had the full teaching received personally from Jesus. They were the only 12 men alive on the planet who had received everything that Jesus taught from him personally. That was why they were absolutely unique. And of course, the point is that the 12 apostles then went on to play a substantial role in either writing the New Testament themselves or supervising the writing of it. Can you see? It was through the apostles that the New Testament got written. And even the letters and books and Gospels that weren't written personally by an Apostle, they were all, without exception, written directly under the influence of one. It was the Apostles who gave us the New Testament, and their uniqueness is therefore this. In their teaching, they were infallible. In their teaching, they were infallible. Nowadays, if I teach something, you can find out whether it's right or wrong because you can look it up in the Bible and test it. But the early church couldn't. There was no New Testament to test it against. Therefore, God had to have 12 men who never, ever were wrong in their teaching. They were infallible. And the point was the 12 apostles of the Lamb were the walking New Testament until it was all written down. All right? Until the New Testament was written down and completed, the 12 apostles of the Lamb were the walking New Testament. And the significance of Paul is that of the 27 books in the New Testament, he wrote personally 13. Some think it was 14, but I don't accept that Paul wrote Hebrews. All right, but fair enough, that's no big deal. Of the 27 books of the New Testament, Paul wrote 13 of them. Some would say 14. And it was the teaching that they received infallibly, directly from Jesus personally under the direction of the Holy Spirit. It was what the twelve apostles of the Lamb received from Jesus that eventually became the New Testament. So can you see that once the New Testament was completed, apostleship number two, the twelve, were made redundant. There was no, they were no longer needed. Mission accomplished. The twelve apostles of the Lamb were replaced by the completed New Testament. Alright, and that is vital for us to understand. In John 14 and John 16, we saw them earlier. When Jesus was saying to the apostles that I'll bring back to remembrance everything that I've taught you and there are yet more things but you're going to receive them, All right. Now today people turn to that passage and they say wow, 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 there are even more things that Jesus wants to teach us, absolute rubbish. Jesus said that to the apostles. And what Jesus was referring to there was the New Testament itself. So that today there's no new revelation to come. We've got it all in the Bible. So the 12 apostles have made themselves redundant and they have been replaced by the New Testament. And that is why if you read through the letters of Paul, he says things like, now if that man doesn't, you know, if someone doesn't obey what we say in this letter, note that that man and have nothing to do with him. Or he talks about the traditions you received from us. It's absolute commandments. Paul was perfectly aware that he was writing, and the others were as well, that they were teaching the authoritative, infallible, unquestionable Word of God itself, all right. So then, apostleship number two, sent by Jesus himself. And the qualifications, they had to have seen Jesus physically after he rose from the dead. They had to have received all Jesus' teachings from himself, from Jesus, personally, and they had to have miraculous ministries. In fact, everyone going, every ministry and gift going, they had to have that by way of authenticating their apostolic claim. Their uniqueness is that they were infallible in their teaching. Not not infallible, full stop, but they were infallible in their teaching. And their function, the function of apostleship number two, was to start the church off as Jesus wanted it to be, and to be the New Testament until it was written down. Their job was to kick the whole thing off. Jesus's job was to kick salvation off. He was the only one who could do it. The apostles of the Lamb, their job was to kick the church off, get it going. They were the only ones who could have done it. And they were the New Testament to the church until it was all written down. So then, a ministry that was a one-off, Replaced by the New Testament, no longer available today. Now, I want to say something about the authority that the apostles had, because this is important. We've already seen that their authority was absolute when it came to teaching, because they were infallible in their teaching. But that was all all right. And I want to show you that that uh, I mean, I mean, there are some people who teach that uh, you know that there's a type of apostle around today. And they consider him to have even more authority than the 12 apostles of the land did. And I want to show you how little authority they had. Not how much, but how little. They were totally authoritative in teaching, but that was all. Now, in Jerusalem, where the church kicked off, obviously the apostles, to begin with, were also the elders of the church. All right? Paul hadn't joined them yet. All right. But they were the elders of the Jerusalem church and they continued to be elders at that church until other elders joined them. So the number of elders grew as the church grew, but the apostles still stayed elders. All right. Now, what I want to show you is that in regards to this, the apostles had no more authority, apart from teaching, than being co-equal elders. I.e., what I want to show you, there wasn't some kind of pyramid system that, that, that the apostles were the big chief elders and the other elders knuckled under. I want to show you that in everything except teaching, the apostles were merely co-elders. Go to Acts 15. i show you this very, very uh, clearly at Acts 15. Don't worry about the issue that the church is getting into a tiswas here, because that's not the point we want. I just want to show you the, you know, sort of like in their tiswas, what actually happened, all right? Now then, Acts 15, all we need to know is a big controversy has come up and the church has got to say, right, what are we going to do about it? Okay, now then, we're going to read through various verses. Now, what I want you to look out for is this. Do the apostle, are the apostles different from the elders? All right. First of all, verses 1 and 2. Uh, some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brethren, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to, the, to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. All right? I, the apostles, the eleven and the elders, the other men, who had been raised up to lead the church with them. Verse 4. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. Right. Verse 6. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. The apostles and the elders decided it together. Verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Uh, and they gave them a letter. The brethren, both the apostles and the elders, to the brethren, blah, blah, blah. All right. Now, here's the point. A big issue had to be decided. All right. So who decided it? Well, the point was... The apostles and the elders decided it together. Now, if the apostles were big guns and the elders underneath them, it wouldn't have been the elders who were deciding it. It would have been the apostles. And of course, as we saw in an earlier talk, that it wasn't even that the elders were actually doing all the deciding and making all the decisions. And again, back to 22, it says, then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided. And of course, the point was that we saw that leadership, eldership is there to facilitate decision making. It's there to guide. And in a situation like that, obviously, the apostles and the elders together kind of emceed it and did all the deliberating. But the decision was actually made uh, by the whole church. You see, the apostles were simply co-equal elders with the other leaders of the church. They weren't a kind of a separate strand of authority above the elders, you see. So the point is, being apostles in Category 2, and this is long gone, it didn't make them like higher-ranking elders, you see. They were just co-equal elders. They only outranked non-apostle elders on establishing doctrine and church practice, because they were the only men who received it all from Jesus. But you see, the point was when that role wasn't needed, or when it was just a question of they saying, right, well, we know what the doctrine is, but how do we apply this? How do we work it out? On issues like that, they were simply, okay, fellow co-equal elders. So you didn't have this two-tier system of God, then the apostles, and all the elders, you know, kind of relegated underneath them or something like that. The apostles were simply co-equal elders. They were elders who just happened to be apostles as well. And except on matters of teaching, they had no more authority than any other elder in the church. Here's the point: apostleship number two were not big chiefs over the elders and in complete charge of the church, no way. The apostles were elders themselves and they ministered as co-equal elders except in the area of doctrine where their teaching was incontrovertible. Now, I don't know if you remember that quite a few talks ago now, I told you that Peter called himself an apostle but he also called himself an elder. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, and this is the Apostle Peter. Peter was a fully fledged category number 2 Apostle. <laughs> right? Listen to what he says. He says, I exhort the elders... Re- you know, he's writing to a church and he said, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. You see, apostleship was just a ministry that they had as elders. In exactly the same way, I'm an elder, but I'm also a Bible teacher. Being a Bible teacher doesn't mean I'm not an elder, and it certainly doesn't mean I'm more than an elder. I'm just an elder who happens to be a Bible teacher. Well, they were elders who happened to be apostles. It's as simple as that. And you see, what you've got to get hold of is that they were not in a position above the elders which outranked the elders. They were co-equal elders themselves. So then... If that is the case with apostleship number two, and we're talking here about the 12 apostles of the land, it is not true that they were the leaders of the church with elders working underneath them. They were merely co-equal elders of the church who happened to be apostles. Now, if that's the case with apostleship number two, how much less Could it be the case that Apostleship number three, as it exists today, which has far less authority even than these guys, the Apostles of the Lamb, if we see how little authority the Apostles of the Lamb have, then we've got to understand how little authority Apostles who are around today actually have. Because, of course, one of the teaching that goes around is that the Apostles, there are Apostles today, people say, and they are the big chiefs. Is he? And everyone's got to make sure that they're related under the authority of an apostle. Well, the, uh, the apostles of the Lamb didn't even have that kind of authority. And I assure you that, certainly, apostleship in category number three doesn't have that kind of authority either. Okay, right, let's, let, let's just sum up where we've come thus far, alright? Jesus was an apostle in category one It was unique and unrepeatable. The 12 apostles of the Lamb were also unique and unrepeatable. Apostleship category number two. So we see there that there are two types of apostleship no longer available today. All right. Number one is Jesus. Well, irreplaceable. No one else can have. the position that he's got all right and apostleship number two is simply not needed because we have the new testament it's a redundant apostleship okay but you see what we've got to move on to now is that you see there in the new testament there are other christians who are called apostles who weren't among the 12 apostles of the lamb there is an apostleship number three in the Bible. And it is apostles, in that sense, who are still around today. There is the ministry of apostle, category number three, that exists today. So we've got to ask, what on earth, then, is apostleship, category type three? Now, if you want to find that out, And if you want to know as well what it has to do with Captain James T. Kirk and other exciting (laughs) things like that, then I suggest that you come back next time and uh, everything will be revealed. (laughs)